Well, good morning again to you. Welcome everyone to Grace. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 in just a moment. So you'll want to find your place there. What a great day to be in, with God's people at church to sing and to hear the word and pray and be together. Just the sight of you encourages me. I hope it encourages you as you see each other. 1 Peter, a New Testament letter. You know, this is a classic discipleship manual. Do you want to know how to follow Christ? Then you read New Testament letters. They are manuals of discipleship. And what I mean by that is they follow a pattern. First Peter is no exception. It follows a pattern by first telling us all about the grace of God, what it means to be a Christian, who we are as Christians, how we became a Christian by grace through faith. New Testament letters are patterns, manuals of discipleship because they tell us up front the grace of God. And then it follows with how to live, how to live in the world, how to live in the church, how to live by the grace of God. These categories aren't always Uh, absolutely distinct. Sometimes you get some practical stuff up front and sometimes you get a lot of good theology toward the end. But generally speaking, that's how it works. That's a pretty good understanding of discipleship. If you want to follow Christ, if you want to be a Christian, and then you want to live like a Christian, then you start by understanding the grace of God and who you are as a Christian and how you got there. And then built on that, from that foundation, you start to live. So that's the pattern of 1 Peter. I said all that to say, to, to kind of introduce where we are today. That's the pattern of 1 Peter. First, in 1 Peter, we've covered the last three months. It's all about God's mercy and grace. He says, you have been born again to a living hope You're saved from your sins by faith in Christ. You're reconciled to God. You're made the people of God collectively as the church to worship God. And that makes all the difference. Nothing in our lives is the same after the experience of God's grace and the new birth and the forgiveness of sins. And then a couple of weeks ago, we entered the second part and we talked. We're starting to talk now about honorable living. What it means as sojourners in this world, belonging to the kingdom of God under the lordship of Christ, living in this world among unbelievers, what it means to live for the glory of God. That's where we are. The the foundation we are building on is the grace of God as the people of God. The next layer is live honorably, and now Peter is pressing that life of honorable living into some very specific areas of life. Last week, it was the government. This week, it has to do with the workplace. So if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word, 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is God's word. You may be seated. What is that about? Is it about Christ and what he did for us on the cross? Is it about suffering? Is it about submission in the workplace? The answer is yes. It's about being in Christ. It's about being a Christian and then following Christ in his sufferings, to the point of suffering, like him when he suffered, and then applied to the workplace. Now let's remember something. If you let your eyes back up into verses 11 and 12, where this section of 1 Peter started, he said, you're sojourners. You belong to God. Because you're the new people of God. You're born again. I don't know how to say it more directly, but I'll say it again. We're born again. Nothing is the same after you're born again. We are born again, we are forgiven of our sins, we are reconciled to God, we are now called the people of God, a people for his own possession. But we live right here. So that makes us sojourners, belonging to God in his kingdom, living like exiles. That's what a sojourner is. We're still in verses 11 and 12. We're reminding ourselves of some things before we come back to where we are. As sojourners, we are to live honorably. Now, what does that mean? It means in the way that honors God. In doing so, he's already told us, verse 12, we will be spoken against as evildoers. Why? If you're living honorably, why would one be spoken against? Because God's honorable way is contrary to to the world's way, to the old self that we were before we were born again, to that way, the way of the exalted self. God's way actually exposes that. It's possible that as I read just a moment ago, words like be subject to 
and endure sorrows and suffering unjustly and not reviling in return, it's possible that it caused you to bristle and say, I don't know about that. Is that right? Did he read that right? Is that in the Bible? You see, God's ways. They expose the self and the sin. They cause reaction. So, of course, those who are in Christ, born again, living honorably, will be spoken against as evildoers. But when we were spoken against, we do not return like behavior. Not evil for evil. Rather, we continue to do good. And then God does what God chooses to do with our continuing to do good. That's the way it works. God either brings about judgment against those who speak evil against his people in slander or to persecute them. Or God uses the ongoing, the enduring doing of good, being the light of Christ in this world to actually convict people and to open up their minds and their hearts to the goodness and the greatness and the grace of God. Testimony after testimony could be given of people who in suffering, in suffering and blessing those that persecute and praying for them and not returning evil for evil but remaining steadfast and immovable in the righteousness of Christ not denying Christ, that suffering is actually used by God to bring about the conviction of sin to those who are persecuting. It's it's the testimony of church history. This is what Peter is driving at in this whole text. That's the sojourning way. And here, specifically, we come to verse 18, the sojourning way is applied to servants and masters, or the, we would, we're calling it today the workplace. Three parts we're going to handle this. One is the command, verse 18. Then we're going to look at suffering unjustly, and then we're going to look at the example of Christ. But before I do, I think there are a couple of things that we need to keep in mind as we go along, because this is a challenging text. It's one that's a bit Uh, It's different from our culture. We're trying to wrestle and find the application. What's the context for our day? How does it work? So a few things that we need to say before before we actually look more closely at the text. The first one is this. You'll notice, beginning in verse 18, that Peter is addressing the servants only. He's not directly addressing masters. Why? Probably because the situation at hand in Peter's day involved suffering of servants who were believers. As we read through this, we get the sense, though not said directly, we get the sense that the servants are believers, they're Christians. And in this context, the masters are not. They are unjust. But there were other situations in the first century and other situations in the New Testament that required the Apostle Paul and James to address both the masters and the servants. Because in those contexts, it's likely the masters too were Christians. For instance, Paul 
addresses both servants and masters because both of them were Christians and they were actually in the same congregations together. So, if you want to read this when you go home today, Ephesians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 3, you can read this. This is what Paul said. He said, servants, do what you're told to do, work hard, work as unto the Lord, work like you're actually working for the Lord. And then he says, masters, and now he's talking to Christian masters in the church with the servants. They're side by side. He says, masters, be just, be fair, don't show any partiality, don't threaten anybody. You're accountable to Christ. You'll stand before him. So he addresses both, Paul does. James, in James 5, he writes to the masters. Actually, if you read James 5, the context is they're, they're landowners and they've got people coming in, contract workers coming in to work their land. And he said, if you're unfair and if you withhold the wages, then the wages are going to cry out against you and you're going to be judged by God. Those are some strong words. The point is that while Peter here is addressing servants directly and only because they are Christians and they're the ones suffering, when the situation includes masters who are also believers, then there's plenty of instruction for them as well. He's telling both how to live honorably in what we're applying today as the workplace, which leads us to the next thing to keep in mind before we jump into the text. It's this. We need to find the connection between the first century and the 21st century. There's an economic arrangement going on here in 1 Peter. We need to ask how it relates to our economic arrangement. And you know, it does. It does relate because it's not that far off, though it is different. I'm going to draw here heavily from a New Testament scholar and theologian, Wayne Grudem, in his commentary on 1 Peter. The servants, verse 18, servants, they're household servants. The households were large and employed many people. The context, being a household servant, is not equivalent to slavery in American history. In American history, slaves were kidnapped, they were stolen, they were traded, they were sold, they were property, they were unprotected, and that was evil. The servants in Peter's day were so for many reasons including debt repayment, contractual agreements. Maybe they were the children of parents who had these kind of arrangements but had not yet purchased their freedom. The household servants were protected by law. They were paid. And they could, in most cases, become free of their servitude. They were under obligation. So it is a bit different from our employment uh, arrangements today. They were under obligation and they did have servant status. The household servants could be unskilled or they could be skilled. In fact, history tells us that many of the household servants were actually doctors, educators, craftsmen, and as we said, they were paid for their labor. So, Wayne Grudem, while this is not the slavery of American history, there is no exact parallel in our society 
But the fact that this was the most common kind of employee-employer relationship of the ancient world and that it encompassed a broad range of degrees of functional and economic freedom means that the application of Peter's directives to employees today is a very appropriate one. The word employee does reflect the economic status and skill level of the ancient servant. So this is an arrangement here, and we have ours today in terms of employment. So I said all that to say, as we consider this passage, keep in mind these two things. Number one, there's a lot said in the New Testament about how we're to relate to one another in these contexts, both to servants and masters, and we're going to apply today what he is saying to our economic arrangement of the workplace, all right? Point number one, the command. Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters. Again, household servants converted to Christ, seeking to live honorably among unbelievers. In this case, living honorably among the unbelieving masters. And what does he say? Be subject. Be submissive. Submissiveness is a theme in 1 Peter. I can feel it right now. Submissiveness is a theme in 1 Peter. Submissive toward government. We just saw that last week. Here, it's the workplace. Next week, marriage, family. The weeks to come in the church submissiveness the spirit of the age sees submission as oppressive and as demeaning the spirit of the age casts off restraint in order and authority the new testament the apostles jesus will not let us do that as christians everyone is submissive to god you cannot be a Christian without being submissive to God. And then God ordained institutions for human society for good. And Christians, especially in submission to God, should honor those institutions through the proper submission within them. He says, servants, be submissive, be subject to your masters. Now here is, we're applying this to the workplace, here is the proper submiss submission in the workplace or the proper line of authority. Christians are to submit to proper lines of authority. Again, another word that moderns bristle at. It's the word authority. But God has established lines of authority because they represent lines of responsibility. Every time there is an someone is given authority in God's eyes, it's because that person has a responsibility. And the responsibility that they must carry out on behalf of others requires that they have a level of authority. 
And Christians are to honor this. Be subject to your masters because the masters have a responsibility. Now, if they don't fulfill that responsibility, they are accountable to God. But they have a responsibility. And so they must have the authority to carry it out. Christians understand these lines of authority and we are submissive to them. In every workplace, Christians need to understand this. Lines of authority and then work to help respect those lines of authority. But what about? And that is always the question. Yes, there are challenges. We're going to come to one in the next verse. But the starting point, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm giving you the starting point. The starting point is always proper submission to the lines of authority. Servants, be subject to your masters. Then, with all respect. Respect for God. Respect for God's institutions that he's put in place for humans to thrive. Respect for the positions of those institutions that God has lined up, given authority and responsibility. And respect for people. To do good, be subject to them with all respect, to the good and the gentle as well as the unjust. It's getting tougher, isn't it? Which means here that submission is relevant regardless of the character of the person in authority. Submission is relevant regardless of the character of the person in authority. He's actually calling Christians to be submissive to unjust masters. Now, when we're asked to do something that is unjust, when a person in any sphere, government, employment, family, church, anywhere, when a Christian is asked to do something that is unjust, then that Christian must make appeals, go up the chain of authority, and eventually refuse. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the character of the, of the master. When the character is unjust, which is the case here, we do not have the freedom to say, I'm going to be unsubmissive to the lines of authority just because that person is not a good person. We don't have the right and the authority then to secretly begin to rebel in our hearts because we don't like what that person stands for when we have this proper line of authority. So there's a basic command. It's a tough one, but it's a basic one. Let's read it again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. How? How do we do this? Well, several ways before we go to verse 19. And I'm going to bring in some other texts here. We live this way, first of all, by doing what we're called to do. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, Titus 3, many New Testament passages. They say, do honest work. Work with your hands so that you can share with people in need. Render your service as unto the Lord. Do your work from the heart. It's Christ you're serving. Devote yourselves to good work. Meet good needs. Be productive. These are all New Testament commands, which is interesting. And I'll, I'll do a little parenthesis here, a little side note. The New Testament emphasis and the Christian mindset is on the dignity of of work, not on the employment status or the economic class. 
The New Testament emphasis, the Christian mindset, is on the dignity of the work. What you read in the New Testament, which reflects the image of God, is do good work. What happens in human-to-human relationship is to constantly be fighting over status and class. But the Bible teaches us to focus and put our emphasis on the dignity of the work itself. And so, the first step in submissiveness is work, do your job. And then do it respectfully, without grumbling or complaining. This is Paul again. With, do it with the attitude of I'm serving Christ. Do it without sowing strife. And then another way that we live this way, submissively in our workplaces and understanding the lines of authority and the whole purpose for being there, is when needed, make the appropriate appeal. Again, I'll say this a few times, when the employer is unjust in practical ways or requiring you to participate in unjust behavior, then you have to make the appeal. You make the appeal to higher authority, you make it to policy, you may have to make it to law, but you make the appeal. So we need to keep stressing that. The Apostle Paul himself did this in relation to the government. You might remember in Acts 25, he's in trouble because he's preaching the gospel. And he's on trial. And it's a crazy trial. He's all over the place. They're sending him here and there and this authority and that authority. And he's now before the Romans. And they say, well, let's just send him back to Jerusalem and let his own Jewish religious people try him and he knows they're unjust and they're going to kill him and he says no I am a Roman citizen I am going to appeal to Caesar so he made the appeal and we can do that as Christians when we're in places where we're where there is an injustice going on or we are asked to participate in it no we either make the appeal if it doesn't happen then we may have to refuse but here what Peter is talking about is that the Christian is guided by respect and justice, not by rebellion and revenge. And we don't appeal just because we don't like our job. We don't appeal because we don't appeal to a higher authority. We don't, we don't say that someone is being unjust simply because we don't like the kind of work we're doing. Or we don't like our boss. Or we don't like our position. We don't do that. And then, leading to the next point, how do we do this? How do we, how do we live submissively? Is we live, verse 19, mindful of God. We don't forget that we are Christians. We remember who we are. So there's the command. Now, this brings up the issue of suffering. Verses 19 through 21. So that's our second point, suffering. The command of verse 18, to be subject to the masters, employee to employer, whatever the lines of authority are in the workplace, in Peter is talking about the context of suffering. And look what he says, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Again in verse 20, he says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is so counterintuitive. But God has special grace for people who suffer unjustly, for people who keep their minds on him, for people who endure in doing good. He said, it is a gracious thing when Christians endure mindful of God. 
We're called every day, and certainly in the context of the workplace, to be mindful of God's sovereignty over our lives. To be mindful that we are where we are in our workplace. We are where we are in our station of life. By the sovereign hand of God. To be mindful of God in his saving grace toward us. Instead of competing with one another over status in this world. The Christian knows that the ultimate issues are settled. The Christian knows that there is no higher privilege than to be a child of Almighty God. And the Christian knows he is so through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who bore his sin, mindful of God's saving grace. We're to be mindful that God is the one who ordained certain institutions like government, like business, like family, like church. God ordained these for human flourishing. We're mindful of these things. We're mindful that God has given us instructions to live honorably. We're not left on our own. It's not, oh, I became a Christian. Now let me just go figure out the best way I can navigate this world. God is ta- He's telling us right here how to navigate this world. We live mindfully of God's provision of grace in our suffering. He won't leave us. We live mindfully of God's reward for our obedience. Yes. Yes. As we are faithful to Christ, doing what he's called us to do in all areas of life, even in the workplace, someday he will, he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Yes, rewards are a part of the Christian life. And we live mindfully of God's judgment on the unjust. Sometimes in making our appeals, sometimes in in trying to reason with people, Christians still come up on the end of suffering unjustly. And we say, God will judge And we live mindfully of God's glory through our testimony. We're going to get to that, but God gets glory somehow through the suffering of people when they are suffering unjustly mindful of Him. He says, this is a gracious thing to be mindful of God. And then he says it's a gracious thing to do good. Remember, we're doing good, doing the good of confessing Jesus as Lord, doing the good of living honorably according to his ways, doing the good of good work in the workplace. Look what he says in verse 20. It's not a gracious thing if we are punished for doing evil or for sinning. It is a gracious thing if we suffer for doing good. God has special grace for that person. And then he says it's a gracious thing when we're, doing, when we're mindful of God, we're doing good, and here it is, when we endure in doing good. When we remain in faith, when we remain faithful even if we suffer for it. When we endure the sorrows and the hardships of suffering. When we endure in our goodness. We don't give up. What often happens is a Christian following Christ does something and then the pressure comes. Maybe the, maybe the, the strong persecution comes. 
or even the subtle oppression comes. And the Christian immediately then backs off and says, I'm not going to do good anymore. I'm not going to follow Christ anymore. I'm not going to be obedient to God anymore. I'm not going to live honorably anymore. Why? Because it's not getting me anywhere. He says it's a gracious thing. When you endure, when you press in doing good in these situations, again we say, I think this is the third time I've said it. Christians can and should use the available means of law and policy and appeals in unjust treatment. Absolutely. But we know. Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. And he didn't just mean your car breaks down. He meant in this world you will suffer at the hands of lawless people and unjust people. We know that even in our appeals to law and policy and higher authorities, that there are times when the pressure remains upon the Christian doing good. And so we endure, we press on. The Christian mindful of God doing good does not resort to evil but continues to do good. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It shows, it's a gracious thing because living like this shows the power of God's grace in us. The testimony, again, the testimony of numerous untold numbers of Christians throughout church history is that when they, have, when they have responded to suffering or injustice for doing good in the workplace or anywhere else, when they've responded as Christ calls them to respond, the people who are doing the harm stop and say, give an answer. Give a reason for this hope within you, as Peter's going to say do later. Give a reason. And the person says, I'm acting like this because I'm saved by the grace of God. And Christ's grace has changed me. This is what he's driving at. It's a gracious thing because it shows the grace of God and the power of God's grace in our own lives. It shows the grace of God to others. It opens them up to the witness of God's grace. Once again, we say God gives special grace in these moments and for these people who mindful of him are enduring in doing good in suffering. Well, finally, Peter gives us the example of Christ. Now we spent, beginning of verse 21 and following, we spent Palm Sunday Good Friday and Easter in this passage, drawing out from it the beauty of Christ's suffering on our behalf. Putting it back in its context today, this whole point of suffering unjustly in the workplace but remaining submissive in the workplace, the point is, that, is this. In this world of unjust suffering, suffering hardship as a Christian for doing good Christians have a unique opportunity. We have a unique opportunity to be a window into the grace of God. A unique opportunity to be a window into the suffering of Christ on behalf of Christians. There's a lot of mystery to this, I admit. There is much mystery to this, but it is affirmed throughout the New Testament and throughout history and it is affirmed today. Today, around the world, you will find Christians living in harsh treatment and they will testify to this statement. 
God witnesses, gives witness to His grace and His Son through the suffering of His people. That is a New Testament teaching, an historically affirmed teaching, a current reality that God witnesses to His grace and His Son through the suffering of His people. It applies to more than the workplace, though Peter is applying it to the workplace here. It's a Christian example for all of our lives as sojourners. The grace of God is revealed through the suffering of His people. Look what he says, verse 21. We're following his example. He knew no sin because he's the Son of God. He bore our sin. He died on the cross for, for us in our place to forgive us our sin and make us right with God. We stop there and say once again, come to Christ. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Christ. He will save you. Your life will then take on the trajectory of following after him. You will become a pilgrim in this world. You will experience the same kinds of suffering he did, but you will do so with the grace of God upon your life. It is a gracious thing. You will live with the grace of God upon your life if you will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, you will follow his example. So what does it say? He suffered for doing good, not for sin. We must suffer but we must make sure we're suffering for good, for doing good and not for sin. He was submissive to the will of the Father by taking away our sins. We must follow his example and submit our lives to God. This is serious, brothers and sisters. This is serious. This is not even, we've kind of stepped out of the workplace. We're We're not even talking about when you go to work in the morning. We are, but we're talking about so much more than that. We're talking about our very lives. We're talking about our existence. We're talking about every part of our being. This is serious. The serious call is to submit completely to God as Christ did, to follow in his steps. He did not revile. Look what it says. When reviled, he did not revile. He did not threaten in return. Neither do we. We say, but that seems so wrong. And then we remember that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We leave the judgment to God. And he entrusted himself, and so do we. And he glorified God by accomplishing the work that God gave him to do. And so will we. So will we. Brothers and sisters, we're called to live honorably. We're called to respond to suffering honorably. We're called to look to Christ who did so. And this is a gracious thing that the Lord will use. Brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity to know and to live the ways of Christ in the world. It will not be easy. In this world, you will have tribulation. It takes a lot of thinking through. There's no way in a sermon that we can apply to every situation. Today is just getting it in the front of our brain so that we can go out and live it. We've got to think it through. But we must, we must watch so that the spirit of the age not guide our thinking. 
but that the truth of God guide our thinking. By grace, through faith, living honorably in the world for his glory is a testimony to his grace in all things. This is our calling. May the Lord give us grace to do so.